So we're starting body 28 today. And in the last verse, Guru Nanak Dev Ji spent a lot of time talking about asking this question about what is the door of Guru Nanak like? What is the door that Guru Nanak has to walk through? What is the door that we all eventually need to face? And what is that house like? What is the divine doing on his throne? So Guru uses this whole analogy of the divine sitting in a throne. Guru then talks a lot about what the beings are all across the universe that are singing its praises. So all of the greatest divine beings and all the elements of the universe are singing the praises of the divine. But an important question that we have to ask ourselves is when it comes down to it, what is the practice that we need to do to achieve this? How do we start moving away from knowledge into experience? And if we look at Japji Sahib so far, Guru Nanak Dev Ji has mentioned a lot of concepts. Some might call them philosophies, a lot of new ideas, challenging old ideas. But there's very little in the day-to-day -day practical application. There's only been a few indicators that Guru Nanak Dev Ji has given along the way as to actual steps that we need to perform. What are the efforts of the ordinary person? So the things that Guruji has talked about so far have been things like accepting hukam. That's a major concept that we heard right at the beginning. Hukam Razai Chalana. Guru Nanak Dev Ji also talked about Amrit Vela, waking up early in the morning. Guruji has used the ideas of going on a tirath, going on an internal pilgrimage, getting to know your own inner self. And then Guruji has spent time talking about sunye, listening to the Guru's instruction, and maniye, accepting that. So the question is, what else can be done? Is that enough? Is there more we need to know from the day-to-day -day ordinary life? What is the right spiritual practice? What are the right things that we need to be doing? There's only so far that the concepts and theories can take us. And if we look at Indian tradition, the sadhus and the yogis and the siddhs were seen as the greatest examples of people living a spiritual life. And in fact, some people talk about the entire Japji Sahib being a conversation between the sadhus and Guru Nanak Dev Ji, between siddhs, between yogis and Guru Nanak Dev Ji. And people even say that that there are direct question and answers being had within Japji Sahib where Guru Nanak Dev Ji is responding almost in a way that a direct question has been asked of him. So Guru Nanak Dev Ji looks at these wandering sadhus who were unmarried, had little or no worldly possessions, 
hardly even wore any clothes, had no jobs to feed themselves, no way of earning any money, simply walking around with a begging bowl from house to house, door to door, just being a spiritual <coughs> person in isolation with, with no connection with the material world, getting whatever food they could from, from whoever was willing to feed them. And Guru Nanak Dev Ji talks to these people, these great spiritual beings. And these people are so enticed by Guru Nanak, so intrigued by Guru Nanak Dev Ji, that they want Guru Nanak to join them. And Guru Nanak is replying in a way that suggests that I don't need to join you, I already am one of you. I'm already a sadhu, I'm already a yogi. But the way in which yogis were seen at that time, Guru Nanak Dev Ji doesn't look like them. So they say, well, you don't look like a yogi. You don't dress like us. You don't carry the same things that we do. You don't wear the same things that we do. So Guru Nanak Dev Ji starts having a conversation, looking at their external attire, the things that they wear, the things that make them stand out as a yogi. And Guruji responds, how is his form of yoga? What is the form that he believes all mankind can take on? So Guruji here is questioning their external practice and rephrasing the way that they look at themselves and saying, what is your internal practice? So Body 28 begins, Munda Santok so the word munda comes from mundra, which means earrings. The sadhus were known to be wearing earrings. The yogis were wearing these religious-looking earrings that were mainly for, for men. Guruji says, I'm wearing some earrings, but my earrings are those of santok, of contentment. Munda santok. Saram means effort. Pat choli. The word pat comes from patra, which means the begging bowl that they carry around. And choli is a very familiar term for people who understand Punjabi, but it's not something that's very common in, in English tradition. In Punjabi and Indian cultures, if you're wearing any robes and somebody offers you something and you don't have a pouch, you make it out of your robes. You just take your whatever chola, whatever long garment that you're wearing. For women, it'll be the dupatta that they have and they'll just make a small pouch out of it. And that's called your choli, that anything can be put into that. So Guruji says, Munda santok saram pata choli tyan ki karhe piput. And Bibhut is the spreading of ashes that the yogis would spread and smear all over their skin. So anytime you're walking around in India and you find someone of a very grey colour, a very obvious distinct colour all over their skin, it's because they're spreading ashes all over them. It's a way to remind them that ultimately we're all going to become ashes. So they remind themselves by actually covering their entire bodies in ashes. So Guru says, 
The earrings are of contentment, effort is the begging bowl, and awareness is the smeared ashes on my body. So here Guru is directly instructing us to move away from external religious robes and look at what our internal state of being is. Guruji is saying that if you want to call yourself a spiritual person, if you believe that you're on a spiritual path, then your external isn't good enough. Your internal is something that Guru Nanak Dev Ji is more interested in. What you wear on the outside is merely the beginning of your spiritual path. That doesn't define your spiritual path. And if we look at the word yog, yogi, yoga, it means connection, union with the divine. Where does that union happen? Does that union happen based on what you look like? Or does that union happen within you? So your mind and the inner experience is where that connection happens. So Guruji is looking at what is happening within your mind. So when the connection with the divine happens inside you, then all of your effort has to be put inside you. The actual effort that you put to be on the spiritual path is an internal effort. That's where you have to put all of your focus. And your religious garments and your religious robes should just be a reflection of what is happening inside you. Your inner state of being should be reflected in your outer, be in your outer appearance. So that's something that we can see time and time again, that people who spend a lot of their time focusing on their external they haven't really walked on the spiritual path. Their external is their identity. Their external is the way that they confuse themselves that they're on a spiritual journey. Guru Nanak Dev Ji doesn't accept this. So the way somebody would identify a yogi would be by looking at their external. Somebody would look at the way you're dressed and say, you look like a Sikh, you look like a Hindu, you look like a Muslim. But Guru Nanak Dev Ji doesn't take those as definitions. Guru Nanak Dev Ji is looking at the internal and saying your internal will define whether you're spiritual or you're not. So the true spiritual yogi is one who works on his inner practice. The outer is not good enough. The answer lies in your being rather than what you're doing. Kinta kaal kuari kaya jugat danda partit. So the word kinta is your patched coat. The yogis would wear these kind of robes that were almost rags made of just different patched materials. Kinta. Guru says kinta is kaal. Death is the robe that I am wrapped with. Kuari kaya. Kuari means virginity. Kuari is sometimes referred to as a young virgin female, an innocent young lady. Kuari kaya. Make your body that virgin pure. Make your body that purity. And this should be your jugat, 
Jugat means, remember we talked about Jog Jugat Tanped. Jugat means the technique that you use. Make this the purity. Make your body pure. Danda Partit. Danda is the, the walking stick, the cane that they walk around with. Guruji says, trust Partit is the cane that I walk with. Kinta Kaal Kuari Kaya Jugat Danda Partit. A coat of death, virginity of body is the technique, and a cane of trust. So Guru Nanak Dev Ji here has listed a set of internal virtues, an inner state of mind. So let's look at those two lines again. Munda Santok Sarampat Choli Tyan Ki Karhe Viput Kinta Kaal Kuari Kaya Jugat Danda Partit There are a lot of variations around where the Bisrams, where the pauses should be read in these two lines. Every translation that you look at will have their own interpretation. And how you break up these lines determines what words are joined with what words. So because there are so many different variations, we can't say that there's one fixed way of pronouncing this, that there is a very fixed way of deciding where the pauses should be in these sentences. The spellings don't necessarily in these lines give us those clues. But beyond how you associate each word and what you associate them with, there are some very major themes here that Guruji is talking about. Guru starts by saying, decorate yourself with contentment, the earrings of contentment, these are your jewelry. Decorate yourself with contentment. Your effort or your discipline is the vessel with which you eat, the bowl, the begging bowl. Smear your body with awareness. Be cloaked with death. Make mortality the coat that you wear. Make virginity of body your purification technique, your yogic technique. And make trust your support, the cane that you walk with. Now, this particular verse looks very small. In fact, it's only four or five lines. But Guru Nanak Dev Ji has introduced so many different concepts here that in order to be faithful to this Shabbat, we could really spend one lesson on every single word here. Contentment, discipline, awareness, death, self-restraint, trust. There is so much here that Guruji is talking about that in reality we could spend a lesson on every single one of these words. So I'll only go through a very high level understanding of what some of these things are that Guruji is, is trying to teach us. So let's look at the very first thing that Guru says. Munda Santok, decorate yourself with contentment. So let's think about contentment. What is contentment? 
a really simple way to look at contentment is to not be chasing things all the time. This lack of constant stress of achieving. It's a relaxed state of mind. It's a state of being relaxed. It's a state of never being phased by what is happening in, in reality. So how do we get to this contentment state? The easiest way is to not have any expectations. Or another way to look at it is to expect changes. Expect uncertainty. We get stressed when we have a particular idea about what is going to happen. Think about if you have a flight to catch. How many steps do you plan in order to catch that flight? You've got to make sure that you've packed everything. You've got to make sure you have your tickets. You start planning how you're going to get to the airport. What you need to pack in one luggage, what you need to pack in the other luggage. What time you need to arrive. What you need to remember once you've checked in. What you need to remember before you board the flight. So, in a very simple thing that we do in our life, which is just to board a plane, there are so many expectations that we build within ourselves because we, we have planned all the steps that we need. Now, you turn up to the airport and something changes. The flight gets cancelled. How you respond is related to how much you're holding on to those things that you're expecting. How you respond is nothing to do with what is happening. It is to do with your ability to accept what is happening and let go of the plans that you've made. Now, this is just a simple analogy of catching a flight. We have plans for the rest of our life. For every single major event that we want to happen in our life. That is not a content way of living. That's not the definition of contentment. By all means, make your plans. But holding on to your plans is planning to fail. If you hold on to them, you know they say failing to plan is a planning to fail? Holding on to your plans is your guarantee of failure. Because what is our success criteria? Here our success criteria isn't that your plans become reality. Our success criteria is are you content? throughout the whole process of planning and executing and accepting whatever happens. So how can we be content in life? You have to become comfortable with change. Things change. And things might not go according to your plans, but they are part of the bigger plan the plan of the one, the one's plans. 
And when we can surrender to His plan, to that divine story that's being written, we can then see that every change that happens at every moment is just His story unfolding, the story that He's writing with that continuous pen. If we can accept, rather than trying to impose our version of the story onto that divine story that's being written, then we start to live in a far more contented way. So every change is a new line in the divine story that's being written. It doesn't matter how you thought the story was going to change. In fact, when you watch movies, when you watch TV programs, you get excited by changes that are unexpected. <coughs> that is the thrill of watching the program because you didn't expect something to happen and it happens. You feel a sense of reward when you watch a program where the ending is different to how you thought it would end. But when that happens in life, that we can't accept. Because then it affects us, then it's our story. And we have this idea that we should be in charge of our story. And when our story does whatever it's going to do, that's what affects our contentment. And this is how you should decorate yourself. This is how you make yourself beautiful. Not by the wearing of external jewellery. This is how you decorate yourself. With your ability to accept anything in life with a smile on your face. This is true beauty. Have you ever noticed yourself how you look when you're stressed? Your face gets all scrunched up, your body is tense, your words are harsh, your thinking is erratic. It shows on your face. What you're showing is your inability to accept what's happening. Everything gets affected, your words, your thoughts, your actions, how you deal with people. And when you relax, your face has a natural glow. It has a radiance. In fact, you get compliments when you come back from a holiday because you've relaxed so much that people say, I can see you've been on holiday. Just because you, you're radiating calmness, relaxation. We spend money to go to spas, to go on holidays, just so that we can relax. But if that holiday doesn't turn out the way we want it to, you've wasted your money. Because the thing that you were trying to achieve, which is relaxation and contentment, that didn't go according to your plan. Even we plan our, our relaxation. We plan our contentment. We book them in our diary. That's the week I'm going to go be happy. So Guru is saying, do this now. Relax now. Be content now. So this is your decoration. Munda Santok. Decorate yourself 
with the jewelry of contentment. Saram Choli. Your effort and your discipline is the vessel upon which you can eat. So, effort is about striving to always follow the Guru's way. What we've learnt from the Guru, can we do the hard work that's needed to actually live that life? And just think about it. How many times do we listen to the Guru's teachings and we still go home and just do all our old habits anyway? So Guru is now showing us, giving us tools that we can actually go home and take. We need to remember to be content. We need to remember to put the effort in to listen to what the Guru is saying. And why is it that we listen to what the Guru is saying time and time again, but we still go back and do what we want to do? Because when we listen to our own minds, it allows us to live, it allows us to survive. The me gets to be in charge again. If you gave everything to your Guru, then there's no room for you. The Guru says, you wake up at this time, you wake up at this time. The Guru says, think like this, you think like this. The Guru says, speak like this, you speak like this. And our minds do not want to give up that much control. Your mind just doesn't want to do that. It wants to hold on. And while you want to hold on to yourself, you still want to find God. Well, how are you going to do that? The very thing that Guru is saying to give up in order to find God, you want to hold on to. The Guru says, Tan man dhan sab gurko, Give your body, your mind, all your wealth and your attachments to the Guru. Give it to the Guru and you will get something in return. You have to accept what the Guru is saying. Tan man dhan sab only when you listen to what the Guru is saying, will you get what the Guru is saying. Will you get the fruits of the Guru's teachings? And the Guru's teaching is, I need your head. I need your mind. I need your body. That's what you have to hand in, in order to get what I'm selling. The question is, are you willing to pay that price? That's the effort. Are you willing to pay the price of mind, body and everything? If you're not, then move along. Don't ask for something that you're not willing to pay the price for. Otherwise, you keep coming to the Gurdwara and listening to how beautiful the product is that the Guru is talking about, but you never actually <coughs> plan on buying it. And then you go home and you wonder, I went to listen to the product demonstration, but I didn't come home with the product. Why not? Maybe the guy selling the product doesn't know what he's talking about. Or maybe you haven't actually just 
given what you need to give in order to buy the product. You give what you give and the product is yours. Are you willing to give? Do you see how simple it is to blame the Guru and to blame Sikhi and say, Sikhi, it doesn't work. I've been going to the Gurdwara for 20 years. It doesn't work. Well, of course it doesn't work because the thing that you have to do, you haven't done. Why do you think Pai Gurdas Ji says, Charan Sharan Gur Ek Panda Jai Chal, Sat Gur Kot Panda Aage Hoi Leta Hai. Take one step towards the Guru and the Guru takes countless millions of steps towards you. But that one step you have to take is the significant one. That's the one where you offer your head, you offer your mind, you offer everything. So we don't want to do that. We want to hold on to ourselves. When you wake up in the morning and you're thinking, it's time, I could wake up and have Amrit Villa. And then you think, nah. That, that voice in the head that convinces you, I'm your friend, go back to sleep. You have to know that that voice in your head is the barrier. The voice in your head is the one who you're trying to overcome. That's not you, that's not your friend. That's the thing you're trying to overcome. It's like the good angel on one shoulder and the bad angel on the other shoulder. You want to listen to the good angel, but the bad angel is whispering in your other ear and saying, no, don't do it. And you say, okay, that sounds right, yeah. The bad angel's always looked after me. He's always been there for me. I'm not really sure about this good angel. All of these analogies have been around for thousands of years for a particular reason. Because they're talking about us. The whole of Guru Granth Sahib is really a conversation between mind and consciousness. Between the selfish individual, mind and the universal. And this is the battle that's happening within us all the time. So we don't want to give up the mind. We just don't want to do it. It's too hard. We almost want an easier route. So then we say, okay, well, maybe if I just donate a bit more money to the Guru, or if I just have an account part, or maybe if I grow my hair, or maybe if I stop eating meat, or if I stop drinking, or if I do something else, maybe that'll help. Yes, these are great steps. The only reason the Guru has asked for these things is because the Guru is saying, I need you to start getting comfortable with giving up the things that you love. Give up the things that you're attached to. Because your attachments are the reason why you're not connecting. So the Guru isn't imposing something on you. This is simply the Guru's way of giving you what you're looking for. The Guru is saying, if this is what you're looking for, these are the things that are in your way. The Guru doesn't need your hair, the Guru doesn't need your mind, the Guru doesn't need anything from you. The Guru is taking your burden off you. The Guru is taking your burden off you. You're not paying anything to the Guru. These aren't yours to give, these are your shackles that the Guru is willing to take off you. But we just don't want to do that. And when we don't have a commitment to doing these things that the Guru has asked for, then we're surprised that we don't get any results. 
So this is what we mean when Guru Nanak Dev Ji spends so much time talking about Sunya and Maniya. Listen to what the Guru is saying and accept it and do it. But remember that your Saram is your Patacholi. Your effort is only the begging bowl. The effort is not what you're going to live off. The effort isn't the food. The effort isn't the, the, the fruits of your labor. The effort is simply the begging bowl that you go to the Guru. The Guru is what's going to fill that bowl. When you present your effort to the Guru, you're begging to the Guru that says, Guru, okay, I'm willing to give my mind. I'm willing to give my effort. I'm willing to give up my five o'clock or my four o'clock in the morning. I'm willing to give the way I think. I'm willing to give away the bad words that I use with my mouth. The evil thoughts that I have towards others. I'm willing to give those away. That's not a guarantee. That's a begging. That's a begging bowl. The Guru is the one that fills that bowl with Nam. The, the Guru is the one that actually feeds you. Don't think that by giving anything up that you're now entitled to anything. It's a begging bowl. Guru Nanak Dev Ji has used very specific analogies here. You beg with your effort for the grace of the Guru to fill that bowl with what the Guru has to give you. And because Guru Nanak Dev Ji has learnt how to beg from the Guru, he's not like any other yogi. He doesn't go around begging from the world. He doesn't have any material desires. And he doesn't have any barriers that says that I can't engage with the world. The yogis didn't want to engage with the world because they wanted to just be spiritual all the time. So they said, we don't have time to earn a living. We don't have time to get a job. Guru Nanak Dev Ji doesn't have an issue with getting a job and working hard because he's not begging from the world. That's just what he needs to do with the world in order to be spiritual at the same time and be practical. So your effort is the vessel upon which you can eat. That's your begging bowl. Smear your body with awareness. So your body, smear it with the ashes of awareness. There is no moment in your life when the Guru's teachings does not apply. There's no thing that you do at no time in your life where the Guru's message doesn't apply to you. Just think about that for a moment. Think about all the things that you do with your day. There's nothing that you're doing at any point during your day where the Guru's message shouldn't be ringing in your ears. Your body does so many things, yeah? You work with your hands, you talk with your mouth, you taste with your tongue, you listen with your ears, you observe the world with your eyes. You use your legs to run around and play games and sports. And in each one of those activities, your awareness is needed. Whatever you're doing with your body, smear your body with awareness. Awareness of what the Guru is saying is constantly needed. In each activity, you need to remember that in this very moment, that ikonkar is still valid. The message of that oneness is still important. In fact, 
Ikonkar is not about Mr. God. The moment is God. So the divine is present in every moment. The question is, are you present in every moment? That God that you're looking for is already there in that moment. The question is, are you there? Are you there to see it? This is the awareness that you need to have all the time. And this is how you need to be recognized. If you think of the analogy that the Guru is using of the yogis, in India you're walking on the streets, from miles away you can always spot one of these yogis because of their grey skin. They cover themselves and they look a particular way so that from a distance they can be recognized. The Guru says that if they're recognized by what they smear on their body, then you smear awareness on your body. That's how people will know that you're really spiritual. That at every moment you recognize that this is God in this moment. So you need to be covered from head to toe in awareness. Tyan ki kare bhut. Kinta kal. Wear a robe of death. So your body, that's full of awareness with your hands, with your feet. At all times you're aware that this is God. On that body of awareness, wrap it with a cloak of death. If your body is aware all the time, then the ultimate thing that you need to be aware of is that your body is going to die. This is something that we feel very comfortable forgetting. In fact, society encourages us not to talk about death. Everything that your body can feel, can touch, can taste, can smell, can see, everything around you is going to die. It's already destined to die. Everyone is on a death sentence. Everyone is on death's row. And this is what we've all been born with. The minute you're born, the only guarantee that you have is that you're going to die. That's the only thing in life that's guaranteed. So all the pleasures that you're enjoying right now with your life, all those pleasures are going to die. And the body with which you're enjoying those pleasures, that body is also going to die. That's the level of awareness that you need to have of how temporary everything is. So ultimately you should know that everything is futile. Know death, embrace death, wear it around you all the time. So what do we mean by embrace death? How do you embrace death? Do we just embrace the idea that we're going to die? Or do we kill all the attachments that we have to everything around us? If everything that we have around us is going to die, then rather than waiting for it to die before we realize, before it hits us, 
we break our attachment to that now. You need to be detached from everything. Everything that your body can feel and touch and taste, know that that body is already wrapped between you and that thing is a barrier of death. Everything that you can touch and feel and smell and hear and taste, all of that stuff is going to die. So that's what it means by wrap your body around with the robe of death. And the yogis didn't wear a lot of clothes. They didn't have different coats for different days. This isn't a coat that you wear just once in a while and then you put it away in the cupboard, never to be seen again. This is their only coat. Remember, they don't walk around with many clothes. If they have a coat, then they're very lucky. So this is your one coat that you wear every moment of every day, the coat that says everything is going to die, including the one wearing this coat. Kinta kal Kuari kaya jugati So, Kuari is this pure virginity. And Kaya means the body. Make your body like this pure, innocent virgin and make this your jugat, make this your purification technique. So when we think about purification, these days everyone talks about detox. When we talk about being pure by restricting what we eat and restricting what we drink and, and, and what our body comes into contact with, by having good physical fitness and even abstinence, and being completely pure and never having any physical relationships. All of those things are simply external bodily purity. They're just purification of the body. But purification of the mind is a lot harder to achieve. So remember that with this coat of death that you're wearing, all of your attachments drop. So you become detached from everything around you, but you also become detached from everything inside you. So that means you're detached from your own thoughts. You're detached from your own opinions about how the world works. You're detached from your emotions. You're detached from your memories of your past and detached from your aspirations of the future. This is purity of mind. This is a virginity, a virgin-like purity that we don't tend to have with our daily lives. So, detachment from your body is like this cloak of death that you're wearing around you. But remember that your clothes are not you. They say clothes don't make a man. And in the same way that your clothes are not you, if you're making your body pure, you have to remember that your body is also not you. So no matter how much you purify your body, no matter how pure you think your body is, remember this is a very common practice in the Indian spiritual traditions that I have to have a pure body. I'm only going to eat certain things. I'm only going to drink certain things. 
I'm only going to eat and drink at certain times of the day. And I'm only going to eat and drink certain amounts. All of this is external purity. But you don't have to identify with that. Do them. Keep your body fit. Keep your body healthy by all means. But identification is where you stay in your mind. Doing something that needs to be done to keep your body fit and healthy is absolutely recommended. But identifying that this is who I am, look how pure I am, that's where you fall down. So what do we mean by this purity of body, this virgin-like purity? Think about what your mind uses your body for. As well as all the things that you do with your body on the day-to-day, -day, how do you use your eyes? How do you see the world? How do you see other people? What are your eyes tempted by? Your eyes are tempted by things that are beautiful around it. Your eyes always want to see things that please it. So your eyes are always glancing at things that delight the eyes. Your ears love to hear great melodies, but they also love to hear great gossip. Your tongue likes to taste great flavors, but your mouth also likes to speak harsh words. So, when Guru Nanak Dev Ji is talking about Kuari Kaya, the body, Kaya means body, how can we justify by saying that this is not just talking about purity of the physical body, but it's actually purity of our mind as well? What has the mind got to do with the body? Remember in the Indian traditions, we don't see ourselves as just having one body. In fact, in the Vedic traditions, they talk about the human having three bodies. The first one is called the Asthul Sarir, which is your physical body. The second one is called your Suksham Sarir, your subtle body. Suksham means something that's hidden. Your subtle body is things like your, your mind, your emotions. Your asthul sarir is something that's physical, tangible. Your suksham sarir is something that is less tangible. Your mind, your emotions, your memories. And then you have another body called your karan sarir, which is something very deep-rooted, this sense, this very deep-rooted notion that I am. That's very, very deep. It's almost intrinsic with your atma. So, when Gurbani talks about purifying the body, it talks about the body within this context of your external body and your inner body. This is why Sikhs aren't just interested in outer purity. The purity of the mind is just as valid, if not more important. So how do you purify your inner body, your Suksham Sarir? In your inner body, is where your desires, your emotions, your attachments, your greed, your sense of self-importance, all of these things exist in your inner body. So you have to keep these in under control. You have to keep your desires under control. 
You have to keep your emotions under control. You have to keep your self-victimization under control. And by self-victimization, we mean somebody who's always feeling sorry for themselves. You know when you feel sorry for yourself? It's a really good feel-good factor. You might not think that it's a feel-good factor. You might think that I feel rubbish. I feel very bad within myself. But in doing so, you're giving yourself the self-pity. Nobody understands me. Nobody knows what I'm going through. I'm the only one to have ever felt like this. So these things have to be kept in control. And we need systems and structures in place that help us do this. This is what the Guru is doing here. By giving us reminders that as well as keeping our body in control, we have to keep our mind in control as well. Now, the other thing that we love to do is this idea of how important we are and how everything should go our way. That's another thing we love doing. That's this self-importance. The sense that I am right. All of these things need to be reined back in. But you do that by first recognizing that they're there. Most of us walk around all day and we're not even aware that they're there. So we need to keep these things under control. So we have to be aware and we have to be detached from our senses, from our emotions. And this is the technique to truly purify yourself. This is the jugat. Kuari kaya jugat. And then danda partit. Take the support of trust. Everything that we've talked about, these are the ways of the Guru. This is what the Guru is recommending. And what Guru is saying now is you're also required to trust in this process. A lot of times people will ask this question, the ones who are either getting new into this Sikhi, into the tradition of the Guru, newly entering it, or people from other traditions that are genuinely asking the question, how do you know that your Guru is right? How do you know that this Guru is actually correct? What if the Guru is wrong? How long are you going to spend following a Guru only to realize at the end that the Guru is wrong? And this is why some people don't even follow the path. This is why some people don't even follow the Guru. Because they have this doubt within their mind that says, I don't actually know that this is true. This is like a student who walks into a classroom for the first time, takes one look at the teacher and says, I have no idea if you know what you're talking about. So the student walks out and never comes to the class again. Now think about that when you were in school, when you were at college or university. How did you know that the teacher was right? How did you know that the teacher knew what they were talking about? As a new student, a lot of the times you don't. What you could do is you can look at the teacher's experience. 
and say, how long has this teacher been teaching the subject? That's one way to give yourself some comfort. Another thing that you can do is you can look at all the other people that have been trained by this teacher. And you say, actually, this teacher has taught quite a lot of other people and they all seem to pass their exams. So you give yourself some sort of trust. But ultimately, until you sit there and commit to learning what that teacher is teaching you, you don't actually know that the teacher is going to be good or bad. But you still go to the class every day. What's the thing that makes you go to the class every day? The only thing that makes you go is a trust that you've handed over to the Guru that says, I think you're going to do the right thing by me. I think you're going to teach. I'm going to trust you that what you have to say is right for me. This is what is being talked about here is that ultimately all the things that the Guru has mentioned so far, if you're going to be a Sikh, which means you're a student, if you're going to be a student, you actually have to hand over some of your trust. That says, okay, I'm going to give you a, a chance. By all means, question the Guru. By all means, ask the right questions so that you continue to learn. But don't think that when you walk into the classroom, that you know everything that the teacher knows. And this is how some of us approach religion. We don't want to learn because we think, I know what life is about. I don't need to have a teacher of life. So we never let go of that trust. We hold on to it. We trust our own selves more than we want to trust anyone else. But if you want to learn anything in life, your level of desperation is going to decide how much trust you have. Think about it. When you're not desperate to learn anything, somebody says, oh, I can teach you how to do this. You say, I don't need to learn it. Thanks very much. I'd like to, but I, I don't have the time for it. If you're desperate for something, anyone who gives any indication that they can help you, you'll trust them. Even if they don't know what they're talking about, your desperation will say, I need to learn. I need to get the answer to this question. So the question is, how willing are you to learn? How desperate are you to learn this? Look how practical Guru is being today. There's nothing here about theories now. This is all about us. How much are you willing to give your contentment away, your ideas of contentment? Are you going to restrain your body? Are you going to have awareness? Are you going to think about death? Are you going to have trust? These are the things that we need to bring to us the first day we attend this school, if we want to learn from this teacher. So your spiritual practice and your ability to learn from this teacher is underpinned by a trust that you have to surrender. And what you're trusting is you're trusting that what the Guru has to say is in your best interest. That what the Guru has to teach you is ultimately going to lead to you being a happier person. Don't ever forget why you're trying to buy this product. Don't ever forget why you're entering into this classroom. You're entering into this classroom because you want to get rid of your suffering and you want to bring your happiness home. Duk parhar sukh kar le jai. So 
you're trusting in the guru that says, I trust that you're going to do the right thing by me and that what you have to teach me is going to lead to my happiness. So these are the practical things that the Guru is saying we need in order to progress on the spiritual path. The next line Guru says, Ai panthi sagal jamati man jagjit. Ai panth, Ai panth, amongst all the schools of yogic philosophy, the highest, most respected school of thought is the Ai Panth. It's the most respected school of yogic thought. They're the Shiva worshippers that are seen as the highest order of yogis. Guru Nanak Dev Ji is invited to join the Ai Panth. Guru says, I already have an Ai Panth. I already have the highest school. I already belong to the highest order of yogis. And what is my order of spiritual height, my spiritual greatness? He says, Sagal Jamati. Jamati means that you see everyone as a brotherhood. He says, I see everyone as my equal. I see everyone as the same. That is the brotherhood that I've entered into. I don't need to create a division in my life. I don't need to belong to just you and exclude myself from other groups. Guru Nanak Dev Ji says, everyone who's a spiritual seeker, they're my brother, they're my sister. And Sagal means everyone and everything. All of creation is my brother and sister. So Guru Nanak Dev Ji talks about the final thing that you need is this sense of unity, of inclusive, inclusivity. There is no point in you belonging to a spiritual path and then you say that my spiritual path is better than your spiritual path. Your ego comes back. You're still holding on to something. Guru Nanak Dev Ji says, I belong to everything and everything belongs to me. Sagal Jamati. If you still consider yourself separate from others, then you haven't let that wisdom really penetrate to the deepest level of you, into your core. He says, everyone who's on a spiritual path, all of you spiritual people, I see you as my peers. So I don't need to join your club because if I join your club, it means that I exclude myself from other clubs. Look at how Guru Nanak Dev Ji was. He traveled all over the place. Wherever he went, he dressed like them. If he goes to Mecca and Baghdad, he wears their clothes. But he always keeps it a little bit distinct. <coughs> so people will say, you look a bit like us, but you're a little bit different as well. Why, why do you look a bit different? When he goes amongst the yogis, people can tell that he's a religious person, but they say, we can tell you're religious, but you don't look like one of us. Guru says, I belong to everyone. How can I dress like one particular type of person? I belong to all of us. So everyone is my brother. Sagal Jamati, my brotherhood is all of creation. We're all headed on our own paths in the same direction. So Guru Nanak Dev Ji is talking to all religious traditions and said, all religious traditions, you're all on your own path and you're all headed in the same direction that I'm headed. So we're all in it together. And this is this idea of inclusivity that we need to have. But we don't think like that, do we? Sikhs are Sikhs and Hindus are Hindus. 
Muslims are Muslims, Buddhists are Buddhists, Christians are Christians, atheists are atheists. And then every now and then when we're feel, feeling quite inclusive, we'll have an interfaith event where the Sikhs get to talk about how Sikh we are and the Hindus get to talk about how Hindu we are. But you go home and you say, but I'm still a Sikh and you're still a Hindu. Guru Nanak Dev Ji doesn't talk like that. Guru Nanak Dev Ji says, Ai Panthi Sagal Jamati. We are equal. We are all the same. You are all my brothers. You are all my sisters. And this is intrinsic to my spiritual values. This is intrinsic to my way of understanding the destination of getting to the oneness is that I have to see everything as part of me. I Panthi, this is my I Panth. This is the highest spiritual order that I belong to. I don't need to join your club, I already belong to the highest club because my club says that everyone's invited, everyone's included. Manjita Jagjit. This is the success that the whole world is craving for. Man jite, if you conquer that which is within your own mind, then you conquer the world. Everybody in the whole world knows <coughs> that there's more to life. Everybody is looking for it. Everyone knows that there's more than just the pleasures of the mind and the pleasures of the body. But very few of us are fortunate enough to know how do we get there? How do we break this constant cycle of suffering? <clears throat> the yogis considered that they've conquered the world when they got siddhis, spiritual powers. And they said that when we gain these spiritual powers, that's when we know we've, we've got control over the whole world. Guru Nanak Dev Ji says, that's not control of the whole world. You might control your body, you might control the elements. Guru Nanak says, when you control your mind, that's when you've controlled the world. So, what is control of the mind? When you've incorporated all the internal, inner values that the Gurus talked about, contentment, effort and discipline, awareness, mortality, self-restraint, trust, inclusivity, universal brotherhood. Then you conquer your mind. This is how you conquer your mind. And unfortunately this line is quite often misquoted. People talk about this line of Guru Nanak Dev Ji, Manji Te Jagjit. If you conquer your mind you can achieve anything. If you think it, you can achieve it. It's very shallow modern psychology which is intrinsically rooted in material success. <clears throat> Most people who quote these things, when I conquer my mind, I conquer the world, what they're really saying is, if I work hard enough and I overcome the barriers within my mind, I can achieve any material success that I want in life. I can be the next Bill Gates, I can be the next billionaire. But what they haven't managed to 
overcome is their attachment to wealth. So they haven't overcome their mind. They haven't won the world. Because they haven't even understood that they're still holding on to material success. Why hold on to material success when your body and all the materials around it are going to die? Do you see how you can't take this line in isolation? But people do. We put our own interpretation of how we can conquer our mind. But Guruji says, when you do all the things that I've talked about, the contentment, the self-restraint, the trust, the awareness of death, the awareness of body, of mind, at all times, then you have conquered your mind. Now we can understand that all of this is conquering our mind, but the question is, how does this conquer the world? How can we say that conquering the mind is conquering the world? Well, right now, our mind is our master. In our day-to-day -day lives, we are the slaves to our mind. And your mind tells you that this life of yours is very important. And in this life, you have to go out and fight and struggle and survive in the world to get whatever you can. You have to do whatever you can because your life is important and the world is, is something for you to, to go and succeed in. The world is your oyster. The world is to be explored. Success is to be achieved. So what we do is we create an opponent out of the world. We almost make the world into this big beast. And every day we put on our armor and we go out and we fight for survival. We try and fight with the world to get whatever we can. The world we see as something to be conquered. How many of us see the world and life as our friend? And how many of us see the world and life as a bit of a challenge, as a struggle every day? So we see life as this big, unknowable, gigantic beast. Something that's very difficult to overcome. Unpredictable, unreliable. Yeah, life is unreliable. It's unpredictable. So every day... We put our armor, armor on and we go out there and we fight the world. And every night we come home and we feel disappointed because we haven't slayed the beast. So we go to sleep, we rest, we wake up the next morning, we put our armor on again and we go out there and we fight again. We want to survive, we want to do the best we can. But what has the world done to us? Why have we made a monster out of the world? Why should it be conquered? What has the sun and the moon and the earth and the sky and the wind and the water ever done to us? Except shelter us and feed us and look after us. And give us warmth when we need it. Where does all your food come from? It comes from this earth. Where does your home come from? From the materials of this earth. Where do your clothes come from? Why have we made a monster out of the world? Why have we made it a beast that needs to be conquered? We have to recognize that the struggle that's been created is within the mind. The beast is actually in the mind, it's not out there. Temptations, emotions, expectations, 
attachments, desires, these are the real struggles in the world. If you silently just go stand out in the world, the world has nothing to say to you. It's just doing what it needs to do. The real struggle is something that's inside you. So the opponent is inside you, the battle needs to be also fought inside you. And by following the Guru's steps, by following the steps that the Guru has outlined, you can be free from the things that bind you down. You can be able to succeed and overcome these challenges, the challenges that are inside you. You can be free from them when you fight them with the tools that the Guru is giving you here. And then you can merge into the oneness of the world. The world is just a oneness, but we've created it into a monster. So the oneness of the whole world that we keep hearing about in these great spiritual texts seems to be hidden from us. But the thing that's stopping us from seeing the oneness of the world are our attachments, our greed, our desires, our expectations of life. The things that are in our minds right now is stopping us from seeing the oneness of the world. When you overcome your mind, you will overcome the challenges of the world. When you overcome the battle that should always have been fought within the mind, you'll realize that the world is beautiful. The world is something amazing. You and the world have this connection which you just never saw before. That is how you conquer the beast of the world that never was. The beast that was always within you. Manjite Jagjit. And when you conquer your mind and you conquer the world, what you have left to say is Ades Tse Ades. I bow to this, I bow. Ades means to bow. Tse to this. Ades, I bow. I bow to this, I bow. Because what you have left there is utter humility. Because you created a monster out of the oneness. You see the oneness for the first time. The one who created you, the one who sustains you, the one that gives life, the one that gives all joy, all pleasures. You see it. And you have nothing left to say, but wow, I didn't know all this time. I didn't know. Because you weren't fighting the right battle. You didn't have the tools. The tools are what Guru has outlined in this body. In this verse, these are the tools that the Guru has given us. And when you see them, when you've conquered your mind, then ades tse ades. I bow to this, I bow. To the one that is ad anil anad anahat. Jug jug eko ves. Ad, that which is the very beginning of all. Anil, the one that is completely pure, colorless, without any qualities, unblemished, untouched by Maya. Anad, even though it is the beginning of all, it has no ad of itself. Ad means beginning. It is the beginning of all, but it is anad. It has no beginning. It is uncreated, unborn. Anahat, it never ends. It has no ending. Undying, 
Jug Jug Eko Ves. Throughout the ages, it has always had one form. The oneness of everything has always been the oneness of everything. This is its form. It has no form, and yet it has every form. And this is the way it has always been. How do we get to this? We have to wear the Munda Santok Sarampat Choli Tyan Kikare Biput Kinta Kal Kwari Kaya Jugadanda Partit Ai Panthi Sagal Jamati Manajite Jagji. When you know how to conquer these things with the right tools that the Guru has given you, then you will know the oneness and you will bow down in humility to the oneness of everything. Wai Guruji ka khalsa, Wai Guruji ki ate.